0: We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Thursday morning, February 9th episode. That's episode 162, I believe, of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, the Faith comes from hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. Uh, you can find the Christian podcast community over at podcasts.strivingforeternity.org. dot Uh, there are a bunch of great podcasts over there. I would definitely recommend, recommend them to you. Um, I listen to a number of them. The only reason I don't listen to more, as I've said before, because I don't have enough time. Um, definitely trying to find more. Um, but I would definitely encourage you to go over there. Um, and like I've said before, if you get over there, find something you'd rather listen to than me. I'm okay with that. I I would understand that very much. So, um, (coughs) sorry, got a little phlegm in my throat. Um, I would also um, encourage you to look in our show notes. The very last link in there is the link for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to get our to rapidly get our mortgage paid off, so we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian, classic education based school as an alternative to our community for providing for the educational needs for for our children and our grandchildren. Um, so we would definitely. Um, Go ahead and click the link. Go read about it. There's a more thorough uh, explanation than I'm giving you. Um, And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask that that you pray for us. We would ask that you prayerfully consider giving, and we would ask that you pass the link on to other people so that they can do the same thing. All right. With all that said, let's go ahead and get going and get into our reading for the day as we continue through our yearly reading, our read the Bible in a year plan. Uh, Like we always do on a Thursday morning, we're going to open up with the fifth day morning prayer called The Giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power abase ourselves before thy purity it is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear allure us into thy presence help us to bewail and confess our sins we review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness we bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope thou hast witnessed us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature in the fullness of thy providence in the revelations of scripture In the gift of thy Son. In the proclamation of the gospel, make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials but thankful for our state. And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right. And now our morning devotion for February 9th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is 2 Samuel 5.23. And David inquired of the Lord. When David made this inquiry, he had just fought the Philistines and gained a signal victory. The Philistines came up in great hosts, but by the help of God, David had easily put them to flight. Note, however, that when they came a second time... David did not go up to fight them without inquiring of the Lord once he had been victorious sorry, once he had been victorious and he might have said as many have in other cases I shall be victorious again I may rest quite sure that if I have conquered once I shall triumph yet again wherefore should I tarry to seek at the Lord's hands not so David he had gained one battle by the strength of the Lord he would not venture upon another until he had ensured the same He inquired, shall I go up against them? He waited until God's sign was given. Learn from David to take no step without God, Christian. I'm sorry, without God. Christian, if thou wouldst know the path of duty, take God for thy compass. If thou wouldst steer thy ship through the dark billows, put the tiller into the hand of the Almighty. Many a rock might be escaped if we would let our father take the helm many a shoal of quicksand we might well avoid if we would leave to his sovereign will to choose and to command. The Puritan said, As sure as ever a Christian carves for himself, he'll cut his own fingers. This is a great truth. Said another old divine, He that goes before the cloud of God's providence goes on a fool's errand, and so he does. He must mark the Lord's providence leading us, and if providence tarries, tarry till providence comes." He who goes before providence will be very glad to run back again. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go, is God's promise to his people. Let us then take all our perplexities to him and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Leave not thy chamber this morning without inquiring of the Lord. All right. And now our reading for the day. We're going to be reading Exodus 29 into Exodus 30, and then on through Matthew, Psalms, and Proverbs. So Exodus 29, hear the word of the Lord. Now this is what you shall do to them, to set them apart as holy, to minister as priests to me. Take one bull from the herd, and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, and unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafer spread with oil. You shall make them of fine white, fine wheat flour, and you shall put them in one basket, and bring them near in the basket, along with the bull and the two rams. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons near to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. And you shall take the garments, and put on Aaron the tunic and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastpiece, and gird them with the skillful woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his beard-I am sorry, on his head, and anoint him. And you shall bring his sons near, and put tunics on them. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them, and they shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statute. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull near, before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. You shall slaughter the bull before Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and you shall pour out all the blood at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, and the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and you shall offer them up in smoke on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, and its hide, and its refuse, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take the one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall slaughter the ram, and you shall take its blood, and splash it around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into its pieces, and wash its entrails, and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head. You shall offer up and smoke the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to Yahweh. It is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Yahweh. Then you shall take the second ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall slaughter the ram, and take some of its blood, and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the lobes of his son's right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet, and splash the rest of the blood around on the altar then you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on his sons garments with him so he and his garments shall be set apart as holy as well as his sons and his sons garments with him you shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and the right thigh for it is a ram of ordination with one cake of bread, and one cake of bread mixed with oil, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread which is set before Yahweh. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before Yahweh. You shall take them from their hands, and offer them up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt, uh, on the burnt offering, for a soothing aroma before Yahweh. It is an offering by fire to Yahweh. Then you shall take the breast of Aaron's ram of ordination, and wave it as a wave offering before Yahweh, and it shall be your portion. You shall set apart as holy the breast of the wave offering, and the thigh of the contribution offering, which was waved, and which was raised up as a contribution from the ram of ordination, from the one which was for Aaron, and from the one which was for his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual statute from the sons of Israel, for it is a contribution offering, and it shall be a contribution offering from the sons of Israel, from the sacrifice of their peace offerings, even their contribution offering to Yahweh. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him, that in them they may be anointed and ordained. For seven days the one of his sons who is priest in his stead shall put them on when he comes into the tent of meeting to minister, In the holy holy place, you shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Thus they shall eat those things by which atonement was made to ordain them, to set them apart as holy. But a layman shall not eat them, because they are holy. If any of the flesh of ordination or any of the bread remains until morning, Then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten, because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. You shall ordain them through seven days. Each day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. And you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to set it apart as holy. For seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and set it apart as holy. Then the altar shall be most holy. And whatever touches the altar shall be holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the second lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering with the one lamb. The second lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the same grain offering and the same drink offering as in the morning, for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Yahweh. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be set apart as holy by my glory. I will set the tent of meeting and the altar apart as holy. I will also set Aaron and his sons apart as holy to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh, their God. Exodus 30, verses 1 through 10. Excuse me. Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit, and its width a cubit. It shall be square, and its height shall be two cubits. Its horns shall be of the same piece. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around, and its horns, and you shall make a gold molding all around for it. You shall make two gold rings for it under its molding. You shall make them on its two side walls on opposite sides, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. You shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near to the Ark of the Testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the Testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be continual incense before Yahweh throughout your generations. You shall not offer any strange incense on this altar, or burnt offering, or grain offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. He shall make atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to Yahweh. All right and now Matthew 26 verses 14 through 46 <coughs> sorry like I said a lot of phlegm not sure why all right Matthew 26 verse 14 then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said what are you willing to give me to deliver him to you and they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him and from then on he began looking for a good opportunity to portray Jesus Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am keeping the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is going, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You yourself said it. Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it, and giving it to the disciples, he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee." But Peter answered and said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved, to the point of death. Remain here, and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. All right. Psalm 31, verses 19 through 24. HOW GREAT IS YOUR GOODNESS, WHICH YOU HAVE STORED UP FOR THOSE WHO FEAR YOU, WHICH YOU HAVE WORKED FOR THOSE WHO TAKE REFUGE IN YOU, BEFORE THE SONS OF MEN. YOU HIDE THEM IN THE SECRET PLACE OF YOUR PRESENCE, FROM THE CONSPIRACIES OF MAN. YOU KEEP THEM SECRETLY IN A SHELTER FROM THE STRIFE OF TONGUES. BLESSED BE YAHWEH, FOR HE HAS MADE MARVELOUS HIS loving kindness TO ME IN A BESIEGED CITY. AS FOR ME, I said IN MY ALARM, I AM cut off, CUT OFF FROM BEFORE YOUR EYES. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you for help. O love Yahweh, all you his holy ones. Yahweh guards the faithful, but repays fully the one who acts in lofty pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait on Yahweh. And finally, Proverbs 8 verses 14 through 26 counsel is mine and sound wisdom I am understanding might is mine by me kings reign and rulers mark out righteousness by me princes rule and nobles all who judge rightly I love those who love me and those who earnestly seek me will find me riches and glory are with me enduring wealth and righteousness my fruit is better than fine gold even pure gold and my produce better than choice silver. I walk in the path of righteousness in the midst of the pathways of justice to give those who love me an inheritance of wealth that I may f- <clears throat> sorry that I may fill their treasuries Yahweh possessed me at the beginning of his way before his deeds of old from everlasting I was installed from the beginning from the earliest times of the earth when there were no depths I was brought forth when there was no spring springs heavy with water before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth, while he had not yet made the earth and the fields outside, nor the first dust of the world. All right, that is our reading for the day. Um, Sorry, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope the time and the reading in the scriptures was edifying to you. Um, I would continue to implore you, that when you go out into the world today that you do all that you do for the glory of God and God willing, I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, the prayer we're going to close with from Valley vision is called man, a nothing man, a nothing. And boy, are we, let's pray. I am a shell full of dust, but animated with an invisible rational soul and made anew by an unseen power of grace. Yet I am no rare object of valuable price, but one that has nothing and is nothing. Although chosen of thee from eternity, given to Christ, and born again, I am deeply convinced of the evil and misery, of a sinful state, of the vanity of creatures, but also of the sufficiency of Christ. When thou wouldst guide me, I control myself. When thou wouldst be sovereign, I rule myself. When thou wouldst take care of me, I suffice myself. When I should submit... Depend on thy providings, I supply myself. When I should submit to thy providence, I follow my will. When I should study, love, honor, trust thee, I serve myself. I fault and correct thy laws to suit myself. Instead of thee, I look to a man's approbations, and am by nature an idolater. Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to thee. Convince me that I cannot be my own God, or make myself happy nor my own Christ to restore my joy, nor my own spirit to teach, guide, rule me. Help me to see that grace does this by providential affliction. For when my credit is good, thou dost cast me lower. When riches are my idol, thou dost wing them away. When pleasure is my all, thou dost turn it into bitterness. Take away my roving eye, curious ear, greedy appetite, lustful heart, Show me that none of these things can heal a wounded conscience or support a tottering frame or uphold a departing spirit. Then take me to the cross and leave me there. Amen. All right. So like I said, hope you have a wonderful day and God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, February 9th episode. This is still episode 162 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and uh, we're going to go ahead and continue on in. We are going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of John. Shoot. Sorry, I forgot to change one of my tabs here to be ready for it. Now I'm ready. All right. Well, let's go ahead um, and open up with a prayer again from Valley of Vision. This prayer is called Election. Election. Let's pray. Holy Trinity, all praise to thee for electing me to salvation by foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. I adore the wonders of thy condescending love. Marvel at the true believer's high privilege, within whom all heaven comes to dwell, abiding in God and God in him. I believe it. Help me experience it to the full. Continue to teach me that Christ's righteousness satisfies justice and evidences thy love. Help me to make use of it by faith as the ground of my peace, and of thy favor and acceptance, so that I may live always near the cross. It is not feeling the spirit that proves my saved state, but the truth of what Christ did perfectly for me. All holiness in him is by faith made mine, as if I had done it. Therefore I see the use of his righteousness, for satisfaction to divine justice and making me righteous. It is not inner sensation that makes Christ's death mine, For that may be delusion, being without the word, but his death apprehended by my faith, and so testified by word and spirit. I bless thee for these lively exercises of faith, for the righteousness that is mine in Jesus, for grace to resign my will to thee. I rejoice to think that all things are at thy disposal, and I love to leave them there. Then prayer turns wholly into praise, and all I can do is to adore and love thee. I want not the favor of man to lean upon for i know that thy electing grace is infinitely better amen all right and now our evening devotion for february 9th the text here is luke 11:4 lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil or the evil one what we are taught to seek or shun in prayer we should equally pursue or avoid in action very earnestly therefore should we avoid temptation seeking to walk so guardedly in the path of obedience that we may never tempt the devil to tempt us. We are not to enter the thicket in search of the lion. Dearly might we pay for such presumption. This lion may cross our path or leap upon us from the thicket, but we have nothing to do with hunting him. He that meeteth with him, even though he winneth the day, will find it a stern struggle. Let the Christian pray that he may be spared the encounter. Our Savior who had experienced it, experience of what temptation meant thus earnestly admonished his disciples pray that ye enter not into temptation but let us do as we will we shall be tempted hence the prayer deliver us from evil god had one son without sin but he has no son without temptation the natural man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards and the christian man is born to temptation just as certainly we must be always on our watch against satan because like a thief, he gives no intimation of his approach. Believers who have had experience of the ways of Satan know that there are certain seasons when he will most probably make an attack, just as at certain seasons bleak winds may be expected. Thus the Christian is put on a double guard by fear of danger, and the danger is averted by preparing to meet it. Prevention is better than cure. It is better to be so well armed that the devil will not attack you than to endure the perils of the fu- of the fight, even though you come off a conqueror. Pray this evening first that you may not be tempted, and next that if temptation be permitted, you may be delivered from the evil one. All right. And like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of the Gospel of John. We're going to continue on in John 6, which this is the feeding of the 5,000. We dealt with the fickle crowd yesterday. We're going to deal with the faithless disciples today. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and start first. Uh, we're going to go ahead and read John 6 verses 1 through verse 9. And our verses for today are verses 5 through verse 9. But i are going to read this whole piece. So listen to the word, word of the Lord. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he was sitting down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where should we buy bread so that these people may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little." One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? So those are our, those are, that is our text for today. So, you know, like I've said, and I'm going to hearken back to John five for a minute, which I've kept doing. And I know you probably get tired of the review, <coughs> but it kind of sets the stage for what we're seeing in John six. So, again, we saw Jesus do this amazing miracle of healing this man who had been lame for 38 years. And we've seen him do the other miracles before that. We saw him heal, heal the son of the, uh, the official. And we've seen him change water into wine. And the disciples have seen that too. But so he healed that man at the Pool of Bethesda. And, again, the Jews, as John the Apostle uses it, the Jewish leadership were more caught up in the fact that he had violated the rabbinical law about the Sabbath than he, than it <clears throat> than paying attention to the fact that he, this, this man who, who John the Baptist had already been speaking of had just done a miracle, had just done a miracle, something they had not seen since the time of Elijah and Elijah and Elisha, or at least as far as I know, maybe, maybe my, maybe my Bible study is off, but they've not seen in hundreds and hundreds of years at least and he's done this miracle. And again I say rabbinical law because this wasn't the law of God. The law of God was not was not what they turned it into about the sabbath. Yes, you were to keep it holy. But healing a man who's been lame for 38 years that's a keeping it holy. I mean I mean any fool can see that. But they didn't want their power assaulted. They didn't want their control assaulted. So they started questioning him and persecuting him. And so, like I said, we saw this this impromptu trial and we saw Jesus sit there and we saw him explain to them and show them that he has equality with God. And we saw him discuss the two resurrections and show that he's been given the, the power to enact both. And then we saw him call the witnesses in his defense as if he needed to be defended. And we saw the witness of John the Baptist, the witness of the works of Jesus, both miraculous and not the direct witness of God himself and the witness of the scriptures more than enough under the Mosaic law to back his point. And all of this made it very clear that he was the Messiah, the son of God. So basically the Sabbath is made for him, not him for the Sabbath. And it made clear that so that they would see that he is the Christ, the son of God. And so that we would too, and that we would have an eternal life, that we would come to a belief and that we would have eternal life in that name. And so that they would see and would believe. I mean, he even calls them out very clearly. Um, there, there in the last part of it, dealing with the scripture, he makes clear, you don't, you don't have the love of God in you. He makes very, very clear that the scriptures, the word of God attested to him. And so What he was doing was to honor God. He wasn't running around trying to bring bring attention and honor to himself. And he called him out. He said, a man running around trying to bring honor to themselves, you would accept, but you won't accept me, whose only only desire is to honor God. I mean, he bluntly does this. So like I've said a couple of times, We've got a religious system that is so false, that has gone so far off the rails. It is not the means of worship that God established in the Mosaic covenant. It's not. What they have is some ugly bastardization that that, that is false, that is false religion, like we see in our own day kind of thing. So again, we come into John chapter six and we see, um, again, like chapter five, we saw a miracle and then a discourse by Jesus. We're going to we see, see that same thing. And I said this last night, the same thing in John chapter six, we're going to see Jesus do a miracle. And then we're going to see a discourse. Now at the same time, we're also going to see at least a second miracle. And some theologians consider a third miracle. We'll see about that. Um <clears throat> I'm not sure whether I agree with that or not. It it depends on the interpretation of the, of those verses, but, but not something to deal with tonight, but we see this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle other than Jesus resurrection that is recorded in all four gospels. The only one other than his resurrection that is recorded in all four gospels. So how major is that? How awesome is that? And so we started on it the first four verses last night And we talked about the fickle crowd. Again, it makes clear. Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs, which he was doing on those who were sick. So they're chasing the signs. They're chasing a guy to see if he can be their genie, if he can do special things for them. It's not about a a saving faith. Um, and we see him call him out on that. Um, in, in the, the lessons I'm working up for the next section, verse 16 through verse 29, we'll see him call this same crowd out because they're running after him because he fed them bread. They they want, um, and I, I, I read it last night, um, R.C. Sproul made a comment, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember it right off, and I didn't write it in my notes for tonight. Um, basically, they were looking for a chicken in every pot or or a loaf and a fish in every lunch, you know. Um, which was great wording by R.C. Sproul, but you know, I mean, they're like, oh boy, you know, it's basically, oh boy, government assistance, government's gonna feed me. I mean, and it's not really government; it's Jesus. But here's this guy who's gonna feed me, which we realize, um, you're gonna see in verse 16, verse. I'm sorry, actually, verse 15. They're gonna want to turn around and take him and make him king, not not because he's the Messiah, but, but because, oh boy, this guy can keep us fed and and make and make us not sick. They're, they're looking for temporal needs, for temporal, temporal fulfillment. So they were a f- very fickle crowd. Um, <clears throat> and, and one theologian, I can't remember who it was, um, pointed out the fact that, you know, this was basically the Galilean equivalent of those that John spoke of. John the Apostle spoke of Jesus knowing their hearts and not trusting in them that they came to believe in uh, John chapter two, verses 23 through 25, when really what the, the only thing they were believing in is, oh boy, this guy's doing miracles and that's pretty cool, this is this is a neat thing and maybe this guy's from God, but we need to follow this guy. They weren't, it wasn't a saving faith. It wasn't that bone deep, um, pit of the stomach, um, this is my Lord and Savior kind of belief, okay? This is not when it's saying believe here, or in this case, they were following him because they were seeing the signs. They're not seeing the signs and going, "This is the Christ, the Son of God." Please don't mistake that. That's not why they're following him. And I used to think it was. I didn't understand that till I really dug into this and really looked through what the old guy, well, the living guys and the dead guys said about it, and then looking through the Greek. So what we're gonna see tonight, um, verses five, and I know here's thirteen minutes in, <laughs> but verses five through verses nine, we're gonna see the faithless disciples. Jesus has noted the large crowd assembled and he realizes he's going to need to take care of them. So Jesus lifting up his eyes, seeing that a large crowd was coming him, coming to him. Um, parallel passages, Matthew 14, 14. He saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Luke 9, 11, and welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Mark six thirty four, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So as they followed, as, as they met, and we saw you know, some of the parallel passage, passages, they were met on the shore as they landed, that people had followed them there because he had been doing healing along the way, whatever it was, they all end up there and he has compassion for them. And so he heals them and he teaches them. So we've gotten late in the day here. We're getting late in the day. So as the day gets late, there's a concern as to how these people are going to be fed. So again, we're going to look at the parallel passages because John, like we said, the apostle John here is just trying to fill out what was in the synoptic. So we're going to go to the synoptics to look at some of the detail here that John isn't necessarily dealing with here in verse five. So therefore Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a large crowd was coming to him. So Mark 6 verses 35 and 36, when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and began saying, in this place, um, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Luke 9, 12. Now the day was ending and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and obtain lodging and find provisions for here we are in a desolate place. Mar- or Matthew 14, 15. Now when, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now let's be real honest. The fact was, There's 5,000 there. Actually, honestly, and we'll deal with this later. Um, we'll deal with this in tomorrow evening. God willing, there's more than 5,000 people they're going to feed. There's 5,000 men. Um, we'll see. Well, it's been calculated that with in this crowd with the appropriate number of women and children, this crowd would have been 15 to 20,000 people that they fed. Okay. So. Considering how desolate it says that area is, and, and from what the history say and Josephus talks about and stuff, that area was pretty desolate. Honestly, even even did they send them away? There's no way this, that number of people would have been able to find food for themselves in that area, especially at that time of night. There's no way they would have been able to. And I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to try to bash the uh, the apostles here, um, saying they were trying to to pass the buck and shirk their duties or responsibilities to the crowd. Um, But that's kind of what it sounds like. Again, it doesn't say that here. I'm not trying to do that. But they want to send them off into other places. They they basically want to say, "Hey, go take care of yourself." You know, and they're they're maybe giving excuses about finding in the surrounding countryside and the villages. I don't know. Maybe they thought they were all going to go through a wheat field and rub the, rub the grains together to get out this, get out the, the, the wheat and eat it like the apostles did walking through in one of the stories, walking through a field and they did it on a Sabbath. And of course the Pharisees freaked out. Maybe they thought they were going to do that at night. I don't, I don't know. But, but basically it was, Hey, send them away. So we're not responsible for feeding them. Well, what John says, he shows here, John, the apostle John shows here. It says, therefore, Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip. So he turns to Philip here and he does this. He goes, where should we buy bread so that these people may eat? And this he was saying to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. That's John five and six, John six, verse five and six. Jesus isn't, isn't asking because he wants some help to figure out what to do. He's not asking that he's not looking for ideas. He's not even looking to see if Philip, well, he's not even trying really to prompt Philip for the right answer. He's hoping Philip will get it, but honestly, he knows where Philip's going to go, and it's an object lesson for him. John the Apostle makes clear in verse 6 that he knew already what he's going to do to feed these people. He wanted to test Philip, to test his faith, just like the trials in our life can be tests of our faith, and we need our faith to be tested. That's how it grows. So he's trying to grow Philip's faith. He's trying to grow the apostles' faith because he asks Philip, but the rest of the apostles have got to be standing there and they've got to be, believe me, when I'm standing there and somebody asks a question like uh, we get together for company meetings, all of our web developers get together and a question may be asked. Well, even though somebody else has been asked the question, my brain starts processing to try to figure out what that is. And that actually helps me grow, especially if somebody puts an answer forward that I may not have thought of. That's what he's trying to do here. And there are many points across the Gospels in the three years of Jesus' ministry where the apostles show a decided lack of faith. So, as much as we might want to think that this is mean or unfair of Jesus to test Philip like this, his faith is the only thing that will save him from the wrath of God. So, it is urgent that Jesus test them and drive them towards a stronger faith. It's urgent just like it's urgent with us. Again, we don't know when the end's coming and I'm not, I'm not a doomsayer saying Jesus is coming tomorrow or any of those kinds of, I'm definitely not a prophet, but we have to act like Jesus is coming in five minutes or five seconds. We've got to have that urgency. Therefore, our faith must be stronger that therefore that's why our trials come. And that's why he's questioning Philip here. And we see Philip's response in verse seven, Philip answered him. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. I mean, he's seriously going, are you kidding me? Philip's telling Jesus that eight months of wages of the standard wage for for a worker would not even be enough to give even a taste to each of these people, much less a solid meal. Now, again, like I mentioned, he's with Jesus, who he has seen turn water into wine, a creation event. That is creation power that he's showing there. He's seen him heal the nobleman's son. He's seen him heal the man at the pool of Bethesda, as well as other miracles that are inferred through the text and are testified to in the synoptic gospels. Fact is, he's been a part of these apostles going out and doing healings and um, running demons off. So he knows these things are happening. Yet he can't seem to picture a way that these people will be fed. I mean, he's showing how weak his faith actually is. I mean yes he's still with jesus but the fact is we're coming up on a point where a bunch of disciples are going to bail out a large group of disciples as we get towards the end of uh, chapter 6 and we see jesus commence the discourse on him being the bread of life and that's the thing we're talking about feeding the 5000 with bread and then jesus being the bread of life i mean he builds on that with this same crowd and we see a lot of disciples and and just so you know you got to you got to think about that and you got to realize this okay If we're Christians, if we truly are Christians, we profess to be Christians, then we are disciples whether you want to be or not. Disciples are learners. We are disciples whether we want to be or not. We are disciples of Christ. But are we going to be disciples that hang on and grow and learn? Or are we going to be the disciples who flake out and take off because it gets too hard? So he's trying to grow Philip's faith here, but Philip is showing a decided lack of faith well, then Andrew comes up, verse 8, and you're sitting there going, oh, wait. Here, Andrew. Andrew was one of the first ones. Maybe he's going to show, show a strong faith. Well, don't hold your breath. So verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? At least Andrew brings up there's food there for Jesus to work with. I mean, it also make, almost makes you want to think that Andrew's faith is strong. But then we get to the end of verse nine. We see that. But what are these for so many people? And Andrew falls down just like Philip did, just like you and I would in the same situation. I mean, we really would. I mean, it's easy to sit there and look at them and go, geez, what a bunch of Keystone cops, except the fact is you and I would be fumbling along right with them because we do so today. You and I know we have these documented accounts of the miracles Christ does. I will guarantee you if you look back over your own life, you know of miracles that happen. No, I'm not saying of 5,000 being fed, but I know for a fact there are way too many times in my life that I can look back over and know that God has worked miracles around me to get me to where I am, has done so with my family in cases where it's just amazing that we made it through in the state we're in. I know he's done them and I showed a decided lack of faith in those areas, but I know he has. So how can we be so lacking in faith? I mean, I I mean, no kidding. I mean, it's like when he calls them out and says, listen, if your faith was even that of the size of a mustard seed, you could throw these mountains into the lake or you could take these mountains and stand them upside down in the ground or, you know, whatever however they end up being said, and I, I don't ever remember them exactly, But and, and of course I will as I read through, but again, our le- our faith is so lacking. Like these disciples, our faith is so lacking, and believe me, by the way, I'll give you a little bit of a hint as a teaser. So this boy with these five barley loaves and two fish, I'm pretty sure that most of you have a wrong idea about how much food that actually is. And you're going to see that tomorrow. We're going to talk about that tomorrow evening, God willing, as we get into the actual miracle itself. But again, we have a tendency to manifest our faithlessness, even within the church. As our pastor Jay has spoken of recently, and as I've come to realize, the manifestations of our anxiety and depression have a, has a tendency to come from our lack of faith. These apostles had seen Jesus change water into wine, a lot of water into wine. It was five huge um, uh, jars. And when I say jars, man, I'm not talking a little half gallon, gallon jar. I'm talking 40, 50 gallon jars. So near 200 gallons of water into wine, a definite manifestation of the ability to create. They'd seen him heal the nobleman's son. They'd seen him heal the lame man, like I've already said this evening. They were all massive miracles, but they just couldn't get their heads around the fact that he could provide for these people when man could not, which should say something to us. He can provide for us when man cannot, man cannot provide for us. He cannot, he surely cannot provide for us salvation. Not one man out there can only Christ can. Again, we have this same problem. Again, like I said, I can actually attest to times when I'm certain that God specifically blessed my family and my wife and sons would back me up on them. Yet invariably, something unexpected comes down the pipe and the anxiety and depression skyrocket. I can make all the excuses in the world, but the fact is, it is a blatant manifestation of a lack of faith. And whether you want to admit it or not, I'm sure you have these same occurrences. We have absolutely no excuse for being faithless, just like these apostles did not. Because we know, I mean, if we truly have a saving faith in Christ, we know Christ takes care of us. We know he has us in his hand. We have to manifest a true, constant belief and trust in the triune God to provide for us. Matthew 6, 25-34, this is the anxiety section that uh, Pastor Jay has recently preached through. And this says it all. For this reason I say to you, this is Jesus in and his, and his, uh, and his um, discourse there on Sermon on the Mount. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For all these things, the Gentiles eagerly seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We have to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness as the apostle should have. We must seek first a saving faith, a true saving faith, not a weak one, but a strong saving faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as our Lord and Savior first. And all these things will be added to us. That's fact because Jesus said so and because he, like God, is immutable, and is totally trustworthy, unlike we men. So definitely the example, these, these apostles set, these disciples set here in verses five through nine of John six, that needs not to be us and way too often it is. I mean, it's really easy to look at them and look down our noses at them. But the fact is you and I way too often look exactly like them and we must strive to get away from that so that we experience the true miracle of the bread of life. Okay. Let's go ahead and close today in prayer with it being Thursday. We're going to go ahead and close like we usually do with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quiet in our souls to call upon thy name, detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses, impress us with the power of faith. "'Promote in us spirituality of mind "'that will render our services acceptable to thee "'and delightful and profitable to ourselves. "'Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye "'and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. "'Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. "'Make us sensible of our sin's disease "'that we may value the good physician. "'Placard to us the cross "'that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. "'Help us to be watchful over our ways, "'jealous over our tempers, Diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith. Perceiving nothing in ourselves, may we find in the Saviour wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. And what a wonderful prayer to end with what we were just talking about. Okay. I hope you have a wonderful evening and I thank you for spending your time with me. I I, I pray that it was edifying for you and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.